Hello, welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We're a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who simply love Jesus and want to journey through the ups and downs of our faith together. We're so glad you're here. If you've seen the play Fiddler on the Roof, there are three Jewish sisters from Russia in 1905. They sing and they dream of one day finding the man of their dreams. But then they start to realize that someone else is going to make the choice for them. There is a matchmaker named Yenta, and it's her job to look around the village and to find the perfect match for every young woman, but it ends up being with some interesting older men. And the girls start singing this song, and they start with all this joy, and suddenly they start to sing more and more about who the different men are in their village, and they start to become terrified. At the conclusion, they say, playing with matches, a girl can get burned. So bring me no ring, groom me no groom, find me no find, catch me no catch, unless he's a matchless match. Matchmaking is a concept that we probably can't grasp here in our American culture, But I have a friend who is from India, and 15 years ago, she had a match made for her. The interesting thing that I felt about the situation was that she was matched on a dating app. And you would think like, okay, well, we have dating apps here in the U.S. But I think it's still the case that her parents got on the app, filled the profile out for her, and then they went searching for a husband for her. And so the parents are all on these apps together, finding matches for their adult children. Now, the reason that this song was in my head this week, and hopefully it gets stuck in yours, is that we're going to consider Ruth chapter 3 today. And we're going to find that Naomi was trying to make a match for Ruth. If you want to follow along in Ruth chapter 3, I'll recap where we've been. If you grab a pew Bible, it's page 189 or your devices or anything at all. We are in the middle of our series called Bittersweet. From Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, our three main people in this story, we have learned to give ourselves grace when we feel bitter. We have also learned that we have a purpose in connecting to and sharing with our communities. Naomi was a Jewish woman from Bethlehem who survived famine. She moved out of the country with her family. And once in Moab, she lost both her husband and her two adult sons to death. In chapter one, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, decided to head back to Israel when they heard there was food again. Last week in chapter two, We saw that living as widows kept Ruth and Naomi out on the margins of society. And Ruth went out to glean barley so that she could provide food for her and Naomi. We were reminded that they lived in a very vulnerable and risky situation to be women on their own in this time. But Ruth was welcomed in the land by the owner Boaz. And we discover that he happens to be related to Naomi through her husband's side. So now we're into chapter 3, and we're going to see what measures these women take next in order to survive. Let me read for you verses 1 through 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, 
my daughter, I must find a home for you. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. Let's consider today's setting. Naomi is sending Ruth to the threshing floor. Now, this was quite a different kind of place if you went there in the day or if you went there at night. During the day, that's where the harvest was brought in. And there's a lot of work that went on to take the grain, to separate the seed, to let the chaff blow away. There was a lot of hard work going on in this area of town. And then the grain had to be divided up among all the landowners. As we said, all the, the fields were together and a bunch of people owned this land. So all the men of the community are coming in to do the work, to divide the grain up. And there was, as a public space, it was an economic area. There was also legal matters that they would discuss here. It was a very business-like setting and lots of hard work during the day. But during the harvest season, it's lots of physical labor. And so they were ready to relax at night. And if you can imagine, barley could be turned into beer. And so there was eating and drinking and lots of guys hanging out all night. And that is the setting where Naomi says, okay, go Ruth. That seems a little risky right there. I mean, we also have to be real here. Naomi, even though she's playing matchmaker, she's not picking on Boaz because he's the most handsome or maybe they don't even talk about having a family together. Their focus is food. Who can Ruth go be connected with so that they can be provided for? And Naomi may not have even seen herself in the equation. If you look at her words in verse one, she says that she wants for Ruth to find a home. And that's what we have translated here, but it can also be find rest. The Hebrew there was to give rest because Ruth had been taking on this burden of providing for a household and Naomi just wanted her to find rest. And in their society, the best way to do that was to find a marriage. And so that's where we find them. It may not have been the ideal romantic situation, but this is what they were trying to do to survive. Naomi's plan is very specific. She tells Ruth to dress up, smell nice, and wait till he's finished eating and drinking. And she does tell her one more thing. Let's go to verse four. Naomi says to Ruth, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her. Now, this might seem like an odd instruction, unless you know that feet could be a euphemism for another part that she could uncover in the night. I'll let you fill it in the blanks yourself. So in the midst of all of this, Ruth is going to be in a very vulnerable situation. She's going where men have been drinking. She is a single woman. And she and Naomi are trusting that Boaz is going to respond honorably in this very vulnerable situation. Ruth is taking a huge risk because she could be harmed if Boaz is not the man of honor that he appeared to be. 
Let's keep reading in verse 8 and find out what happened. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, he was in good spirits. He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Exclamation mark in this translation. He was startled. What startled him? We're not going to talk about it. We don't know. All we know is that we've said that Ruth has placed herself in a vulnerable position. Well, Boaz is pretty vulnerable himself. His feet are uncovered. Um, He has been drinking, and he is sleeping. And readers of this book of the Bible, hearers of this scroll, would recall some other people in the Bible, some men who got drunk and slept with people they didn't realize, some men who were murdered in their sleep. So Boaz here is in a very vulnerable situation as well. If Ruth was not a woman of honor, she could have done something dangerous to him. So we're both in a trusting situation here. Verse 9, Boaz says, who are you? I guess it's dark. He's drunk. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, Ruth had told her, go put yourself in this position and wait and see what Boaz does. But Ruth does make a bold statement here, a bold ask, because she brings up this term guardian redeemer. And if you recall, we talked about it last week, that a guardian redeemer, one of the things they could do was that if a family was in such dire straits financially that they had to sell their land, the guardian redeemer was expected to come in and buy the land and keep it in the family. But there's another situation where the person could also redeem another person through marriage. So Ruth, slyly, gently, is kind of proposing marriage in the night. Interesting. But she just brings him up as the guardian redeemer and lets him think about this situation, that he could protect her, provide her safety and security through this guardian redeemer. Let's see Boaz's response in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So that's another situation here. Boaz notes that, yes, I am a guardian redeemer, but there is someone else who is more closely related. And Boaz, it seems like, yes, he is willing to provide for Ruth, but he does want to follow the letter of the law here. And he says, there's someone else that we need to talk to first. I did appreciate the commentary author that I read, um, Candy Queen Sutherland, because she was like, okay, Boaz is startled in the night. He starts praising the Lord, babbling on about how all the people are thinking of them. And then here, there's just this vulnerable woman in front of him. So 
whether he also says whether the other person is going to redeem her or him, Boaz did ask her to stay the night. And as we keep reading, it says, she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor, said Boaz. So let me finish reading verse 15. Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured in six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her, and then he went back to town. So, did they or didn't they? We don't know. It's in the night. Two adults are there. They could have spent the night making plans about marriage. We're not sure. We're not told. But what he does is provide for her. First thing in the morning, he's providing that food because we said that is what Ruth's priority was. She doesn't know how they're going to eat the next day because the barley season, the wheat season, all of that harvesting has happened. Does she have a job anymore? Does she have a place to glean? Food is her priority for survival, and that is what Boaz provides. And also, interesting enough, if she's carrying barley from the threshing floor, then maybe there would be less questions on why a woman in the morning in the same clothes she left in was leaving the threshing floor. Was he trying to protect her reputation? Perhaps. Was he trying to protect his reputation? Maybe. She is still a widow from Moab, and he is an upstanding man in the community. So maybe he needed time to think about what being a guardian redeemer would truly mean in society. But I think that's why he keeps saying, like, okay, everybody thinks you're a noble woman. That's, that's good. Like, maybe he's reassuring himself that he could take this next step even though she was a Moabite. And in the conclusion, Ruth heads back home. Verse 16, Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and asked, oh, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? She told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until this matter is settled today. So we'll find out what happens next. I know it's an ancient spoiler alert. You probably know, but I'm not going to say anything now. We're just going to trust in this moment that Ruth has made herself vulnerable in order to survive, in order to provide. And she's not just thinking of herself, but in every step, she continues to provide for Naomi as well. Naomi sent her out not knowing if she would be, she was just, Ruth could have just gone out, never come back again. But Ruth continues to show that chesed, that loving kindness to her mother-in-law at every step of the way. Now, I grew up hearing this presented in a more sanitized form than we discussed today. It was all about happily ever after. It was kind of presented to me in like a Disney princess story, right? A romantic comedy, a woman and a man bump into each other in the night. But really, Ruth and Naomi, they were trying to survive. They lived in a culture where being connected to a man is the most protected scenario. They saw potential in Boaz because he had been so kind to them already. He was related to Naomi. We don't know, though, if Ruth was thrilled to go after him. I mean, we talk about bittersweet that this series is named after Naomi because she said she was sweet, but she had become bitter. 
But I don't know. We don't know what Ruth was going through. Perhaps it was bittersweet to say, I have to provide, and this is the way to do it. And we hope, we hope that something would come along after that, but we don't know. We have to be realistic because rarely does life work out like a romantic comedy, right? Even if the way you meet someone is magical or comical or awkward, there's still a lot of work that goes on into keeping a relationship, whether it's a match made for you or a match you chose. But that goes for every relationship, every friendship you have, every work relationship you have, your next door neighbors. It requires effort and work. And it's heartbreaking when tragedy strikes or when that other person chooses to no longer do the work. And I just bring this up because number one, I think we need to read the Bible realistically. Let's not paint over a picture that's not there. Because we need to take heart that other people have survived things like this. But I also want us to take heart. Because you might be in a situation right now where you think life has not turned out like the movies promised us, right? Happily ever after hasn't come yet. And so I just want us to be reassured that it is okay to put in the work, to know and trust and hope that Yahweh will redeem our situations, no matter what we're facing, just as we're trusting that he's going to redeem Ruth by this next chapter. Now, the second thing I want us to look at as we consider this scripture, sometimes we read things in the Bible and we're like, that has no connection to my life whatsoever. But I want us to recognize that today, in 2021, there are people who would read the story of Ruth and they would absolutely relate. Because this darkness, the dark truth of, the, of what women had to do in order to survive, that still happens. And all along, I'm still singing Matchmaker in my head. And you realize that the jokes in the song turn dark. One verse says, you heard he has a temper. He'll beat you every night, but only when he's sober. So you're all right. And the sisters in Fiddler on the Roof conclude, up to this minute, I misunderstood that I could get stuck for good. What matchmaker depicts on stage, what Ruth says here in this scripture, women are still going through. And every time I see the news this week and I look at what's happening in Afghanistan, I can't help think, what are women going to face next? Because for 20 years, they've been able to earn back freedoms to be educated, freedoms to start a career, freedom to leave the house without a man by their side. And all of that could be and probably will be taken away very soon. In a New York Times Instagram post this week, I read about Crystal. And she was one of seven men, women and 200 men who had a protest on Afghanistan's Independence Day last week. She said for 20 years, her whole life, she has never met anyone from the Taliban until this protest. And they came up to her face and they said, you have 20 days. And then a crackdown is coming. And so she said, okay, for 20 days, I'm going to speak as loudly as I can and stand up for my rights, no matter what happens, because I have 20 days left to do it. 
And then I, we happen to know two different organizations that have built schools in Afghanistan. Some friends of ours from college told us the other day that their dear friends started a school for girls. The city is unnamed. But in their recent newsletter, the family from the U.S. had to leave because of visa issues earlier in the summer. And now they can't get back. And they're desperately looking at this country that they love. And they can't go back there right now. And they've messaged with the people, the Afghan people who work for this girls' school. And they tell them, our vehicles are now stolen, are taken away from us. The doors are locked. We can't get in. And now the people are headed to Kabul, desperately hoping to get on an airplane. And they said, is there any way that your American connections can get us out? And they said, we'll send you the letters that you work for an NGO, but I don't know if that's going to help you. We don't know yet. Another organization that we know of is by Bob Goff. You may have heard of him. He's a speaker, an author, a Jesus follower. His organization called Love Does started a school in Afghanistan several years ago. And so far, he's posted prayer requests, and they're filled both with hope and with heartbreak, as we all feel as we watch this news. His last post said, Pray for Afghanistan. Hope doesn't go to sleep just because it's dark outside. It lights a candle and it stays up waiting for the rest of the story. That's what's in this story. That was what was in Matchmaker. There was a glimmer of hope. It may have seemed dark, but there was a glimmer, a lighted candle of hope. Ruth took a risk, but she had a hope that maybe she could come out on the other side. We need to pray for the hope of the people of Afghanistan, because that is what is going to get them through, to give them strength to face the next day and the next day. And our friends in Myanmar that I wanted you to meet through this video, they're not in the news cycle anymore. Have you seen any headlines about Myanmar lately? But they have still, in the same situation as Afghanistan, they are still taken over by a coup, by someone they did not vote for, has taken over their lives. They're still can't go out of the house without fear for arrest if you say the wrong thing. They no longer email us because they're afraid their accounts are still being watched. Hospitals are not open. Banks are still closed since February. Let's pray for their hope. Let's pray for their hope that they they believe that their future will still be redeemed. Daniel, who spoke, when he messages us, he still says, I still believe. I still have hope. Even though we can't see what tomorrow will bring. But I want to tell us this. We don't even have to look across the world to see people who take risks to survive. It happens here in Cincinnati. And some people have taken risks and they have trusted in people whose help was not trustworthy. And in our city, people get trafficked. And in our city, drug addictions are fueled. And in our city, children are removed from homes that are dangerous. We don't have to look far to see people looking for hope. And what I want us to be is I want us to be that person a trustworthy presence in their lives.
And I look out here and I know, I know your hearts. And I know those of you who say, I'm not just going to pray for hope. I am going to actively live out and be a piece of that answered prayer. Because we pray and trust in the Lord. And then we also have to have eyes wide open to say, what if God is you know, fixing us, preparing us to be not just a person who prays, but to be a person who is part of the answer to that prayer. And so there have been people on our hearts, and maybe God is laying it on your heart that you want to become more involved in Cincinnati or in one of these situations that we talked about in Afghanistan and Myanmar. If so, we know people that we can connect you with, trustworthy people who are providing care, who could use more help. So please let us know if that's something on your heart today. But just as Ruth and Boaz became vulnerable, let's, let's look around. Let's see how we can become that trustworthy presence to the vulnerable people in our lives. Now, just as Ruth was seeking someone to redeem her future, her very current future, Jesus came to earth and promised to redeem our future. And you know what? It takes vulnerability to believe that. And some days are easier than others. Some days it's hard to look around in this world and still hope in a God who came to earth so many years ago. But every week we take communion and we try to remember that hope. And I want to say if you're struggling to have hope right now, stick with us. Let's, let's keep journeying together. We'll hope for you when you can't. And I hope that you'll hope for us when we are down as well. But we take this communion because we want to remember that Jesus offers hope. He offers redemption. And we're going to have a time where people are going to serve communion at the front. You can come down when you feel ready. There's piece of bread, a glass of juice. You can place your gla empty glasses in the back when you're done. But take some time and pray for your own vulnerability and the vulnerability of others. Pray for the hope that we can all have. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God, for providing even on days we can't see it or we don't even Think about it coming from you. Thank you for providing through other people, through resources, through random acts of kindness by strangers. We thank you for the ways we have received hope and help us to be hope for others. Use us to be the trustworthy presence in others' lives so that others can know, can feel a physical presence alongside them, believing in them, supporting them, hoping for their future. We thank you for the promise of redemption. And we come to you now. And we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Echo Church. If you ever want to join us in person, we're located in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. 
You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. That's E-C-H-O church dot O-R-G. Have a great week.